BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There are plenty of things for Californians to be worried about, from housing to crime to drought. But a new poll shows that COVID-19 pandemic still tops the list of concerns. Here's KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos. Nearly one-fifth of those polled by the Public Policy Institute of California say COVID-19 is the most important issue for state leaders to tackle in 2022. 13% named homelessness, and 12% cited jobs, the economy, and inflation. But Californians appear optimistic, with two-thirds saying the worst of the pandemic is behind us. And just months after beating an attempt to oust him in a recall election, Governor Gavin Newsom heads into this re-election year with 56% of Californians approving of the job he's done. The poll of more than 1,600 people took place in January. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. A state lawmaker is introducing legislation that would require school officials to collect information from parents about guns they store at home. KQED's Alex Hall has more. State Senator Anthony Portentino says Senate Bill 906 was inspired by a school shooting in Michigan in which a student used a gun purchased by his parents after he was allowed to remain on campus despite the concerns of school staff. We saw in Michigan that inaction and hesitancy sometimes can lead to tragedy. And so I'm requiring school districts, if you receive a credible threat, you must take steps to investigate that threat. And that investigation must be to search the locker, the backpack, and the car of the person who's making the threat. The bill would also require school administrators to report suspected threats to law enforcement. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall. The nation's troubled immigration courts would get an overhaul under a bill being introduced today by San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. KQED's immigration editor, Tyke Hendricks, reports. Immigration courts decide issues like asylum and deportation, but they're plagued by a backlog of 1.6 million cases and lack due process protections. They're also controlled by the attorney general, who's appointed by the president. Lofgren says that leads to political meddling. The judges themselves are appointed by the Department of Justice. They're not at all independent. So it's not a real court in the way we think of, and the stakes are very, very high. Lofgren's plan would make the immigration courts independent, like bankruptcy court. Getting the bill through Congress could be tough, but Lofgren says it's not partisan. It's about the rule of law. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Although the massive backlog at Southern California ports has eased in recent months, California's farm export industry is facing a financial crisis due to ongoing global shipping problems. At a joint committee hearing in Sacramento yesterday, Assemblyman Robert Rivas of Salinas, who chairs the Assembly Agriculture Committee, highlighted the effects port congestion has had on California farmers. New research indicates that from May to September of last year, port and supply chain congestion cost California farmers approximately $2.1 billion in ag exports, a loss more costly than the 2018 U.S.-China trade war. Ultimately, this damages our state's economy, and particularly our small family-owned farms, as well as our reputation abroad. 
Craig Durr, Vice President of Global Sales and Marketing for Campos Brothers Farm in the Central Valley, testified during the hearing. It is very discouraging to us, the California almond industry and all of California agriculture, that our export situation has not only not improved, but it continues to get worse. And Durr says 70% of Campos Brothers' almond crop is exported around the world. He argues cargo ships leaving ports without carrying goods isn't sustainable in the long run. The share of empty containers leaving California ports between May and August of 2021 was at 75% and hit a record 78% in September. That is a huge problem because those empty containers are needed to export agricultural products. Pre-2020, that percent of empties was 30% on average. As for possible solutions, the committee and experts suggested using the ports of Oakland and Stockton more for exports, rather than relying on the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Assemblyman Patrick O'Donnell of Long Beach also suggested requiring terminals to commit to sending out a certain percentage of exports as part of their overall business plans. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at osh.com. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Desert Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. A state appeals court has rejected a bid by a group of 22 Pacific Gas and Electric employees to black out their names from evidence gathered during the criminal investigation into the 2018 campfire. KQED's Dan Brecky has more. As part of the probe into PG&E's role in starting the campfire, a Butte County grand jury heard from dozens of the company's workers. Employees who testified sued to stop the release of unredacted grand jury transcripts, saying they feared retaliation from those angry with the company. A judge approved redacting the names of workers living in or near Butte County, but did not agree to black out the names of 22 others who were not local. That group filed an appeal. Wednesday, a state appellate court upheld the lower court's ruling. PG&E said in a statement it was disappointed in the decision, but did not say whether it would appeal. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. 2022 is an election year, and more California counties will be making the switch from polling places to larger vote centers where people can cast their ballots over several days. KQED politics reporter Guy Maserati has more. Fifteen counties in California, including Fresno, Los Angeles, and Santa Clara, have already ditched the process of assigning each voter a polling place to vote on Election Day. Instead, under the Voters' Choice Act model, voters can cast ballots 10 days before the election at any vote center in the county, where they can also get language and disability assistance. Alameda, Riverside, and San Diego are among the 11 counties now adopting the Voters' Choice Act system. 
Studies have shown the switch from polling places to vote centers can boost turnout, though some election officials say the cost of offering 10 early voting days isn't always worth it. All voters in California will continue to get a ballot in the mail by default. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. A San Francisco 49ers fan is in a medically induced coma days after he was apparently beaten in the parking lot of SoFi Stadium during last Sunday's NFC Championship game. Inglewood police say 40-year-old Daniel Luna was found on the grounds of the stadium's parking lot right after the game between the Niners and Los Angeles Rams had started. Luna was transported to a local hospital where emergency room staff contacted Inglewood police after discovering that his injuries appeared to be the result of an attack. A family friend tells the LA Times Luna attended the game alone after some other 49ers fans who were supposed to go with him backed out. Inglewood police say they're relying heavily on video to try to identify anyone who may have been involved in the attack. Safety is one of the major concerns for Southern California officials, with the Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium a little more than a week away. But there's also the pandemic. Even though infection rates in L.A. County have steadily declined, the county is still averaging more than 10,000 new cases a day over the past week. With that in mind, stadium workers and fans of the games will be given KN95 masks, and they'll be strongly encouraged to use them. From L.A., here's KPCC's Jackie Fortier. Los Angeles officials doubled down on the county's mask mandate ahead of the February 13th Super Bowl at a press conference Wednesday at SoFi Stadium. Supervisor Holly Mitchell. Masking is a modest requirement that works. To enter the stadium, fans will have to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative test. KN95 masks will be placed on all the seats, and fans will be reminded to keep them on, said John Barker, head of NFL live event operations. We'll have ambassadors throughout every single level here, again, reminding people to to raise their masks. We will have mask reminders up on the video boards, and every credentialed member of staff that's going to be working Super Bowl as well is also provided a KN95 mask. Um, It's a challenge. It's a very large building, uh, but we are prepared and ready to go. Masks were largely disregarded at last weekend's NFC Championship game at SoFi, prompting Supervisor Catherine Barger to call for a rollback of the mask requirement. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. As COVID-19 numbers continue to improve in California, state health officials are now planning for the next steps, which will likely mean loosening some pandemic restrictions. Earlier this week, Governor Gavin Newsom addressed the issue. I'm very enthusiastic about the progress we're making with this draft. In the next couple weeks, we will be releasing that endemic plan, how we live with the virus, how we address and live with the surges, what we've learned, what protocols we encourage to be in place, and how we believe we'll process things moving forward. Here to talk more about this issue, we're joined by Dr. Abrar Karan, an infectious disease expert at Stanford University School of Medicine. So when will we know that uh, the epidemic has become endemic is an official statement made by the world health organization or by the cdc or california uh, health officials yeah i think that you know public health authorities will say that you know x amount of time has passed we're seeing that we're not having large increases in the number of covid 19 cases um we're seeing that it's settled out at whatever the incidence will be over you know per hundred thousand people and People will see that. And I think that that statement will be made when the public health department and the political leaders of our state 
sort of feel that we're at an acceptable point whereby our health system can handle the cases, we're not delaying surgeries, people can resume activities that uh, they, they like to do without having to constantly worry about getting infected. So when I think of endemic, I think of something like the seasonal flu. Would that be correct in, in a U.S. or North American context? Yeah, I will. Any any disease um, has its endemic level. And then if, it, if you, in a given time period, in a given place, see much more than what you would have expected to see, then that is an outbreak or an epidemic. And that's how there's a difference between endemicity and something being epidemic. But yes, flu is endemic. We see flu every year. We have a certain number of cases that we expect to see every year. And that doesn't mean that's a good thing, right? It just means that that's sort of what we have accepted as okay, or where our public health system and our medical system deem it to be acceptable. What would you recommend to public health officials in terms of managing this transition to an endemic uh, landscape when it comes to COVID? And related to that, do you have any particular concerns when we do make this transition? Yeah, I do have some concerns. And my biggest concern really is that normal or going back to quote normal or how things were prior to COVID is, is, is a problematic way of thinking and looking at things. As a global health physician, as an infectious disease doctor, I understand that inequity, the sort of drivers of inequity, um, the social determinants of health, really are what led to a big problem in the United States, which was that we had very poor, vulnerable communities having to work on the front lines, get sick, no way to isolate safely. Some didn't have proper paid time off, had to keep working. And then people that were more affluent and had means to uh, stay home did. And I noticed that once those people that were sort of well off felt comfortable once the first surge had sort of slowed down in 2020, that's when the state started to reopen things. And there's no big changes put in place to protect those vulnerable workers. And I'm afraid that that's going to happen again, that we're going to say, let's go back to normal, normal really centered on people that have means to stay safer, get better masks, have more tests available. And then everybody else um, is sort of left in the same working conditions that are not safe, where ventilation is not great, where people are still crowded. And that's not great because, you know, most of us really do feel that we will have another variant in the future and we won't have prepared accordingly for, for the pandemic. All right. That is Dr. Abrar Karan, an infectious disease expert at Stanford University School of Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us, doctor. Thanks so much for having me. And that is the California Report for Thursday, February 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.